Hey, can you do me a favor? Turn that light bulb on. There we go. That's perfect. Let's wake these people up. Hello, fellow listeners. Welcome to Food for Thought, where we inspire you to think and feed you knowledge that can be applied to your everyday life. I'm your host, Juan Cruz, and today we have a guest, Joe, Joseph Cruz. Hey, what's going on? And um, he's my brother. So who better to have as one of the first podcasts than somebody that I know uh, that has a passion for something. And this passion that he has is for food and not just the food in general, but the industry of this hospitality, which is um, what exactly, because I know I say hospitality many times. And when I say hospitality, for some people, they just think hotels. Or even a hospital. Or a hospital. You which know. has happened many yeah. times. Like, I'll tell people, oh, you know, people say, what, what did your brother go to school for? And I'll tell them, oh, he went to school for hospitality management. You know, and they say, oh, you know, what hotels, hospitals? And I'm like, no, no, no. So what exactly is hospitality? So explain that real quick and quick few words all right hospitality is is pretty much you know um the best way i can describe it somebody comes to your house and you literally serve them you sit them down you offer them to sit in your couch you give them something to drink it is to actually you know take care of them so any field in which you you take care of somebody whether they come for a restaurant whether they go to a hotel, whether they go to a retirement home, it's also in the hospitality industry or a cruise. Those are all within the hospitality industry. And I'm just touching a few, you know, but the reality is, is anywhere where you find yourself serving somebody else to make them feel better for that moment where, you know, like I said, food, hotels, cruises, whatever it may be. And it's crazy because hospitality, if you think about hospitality in general, hospitality has a lot to do with um, how you love somebody. So a mother tends to give some of the best hospitality. Correct. There's nothing like uh, the hospitality of, of a mother. Yeah. Like whoever is listening, usually you go off somewhere and you spend a few days and or you spend months of not seeing your mother for Which who knows what reason. Happens you know? in my case. Yeah. And then you come back and it's the first thing they do is greet you with food, with do you need something to drink? Um, whether well, pillows, uh, washing your clothes, whatever it is that they do, you know, it's really some of the best hospitality. And if you look at that, hospitality relates a lot to uh, the love that you have for somebody. So um, I think that's why hotels, and correct me if I'm wrong, they tend to present so uh, great hospitality, great service to somebody because they like to take that moment of uh, feeling cared for feeling loved, feeling as if though they're somebody special. Correct. I mean, assuming you you, you, you go to something aside from a, a little cheap motel on the side of the road, uh, yes, generally speaking, you know, you go to a hotel, at least the ones that I worked at, that was the aim. That was the aim. You know, if a person came in and they literally had a bad night and they were going to check in, then, you know, something as simple as, can I get you a cup of coffee? That's what we were told. We were said. Can I get you a cup of coffee? You know, maybe, you know, or maybe it's a dead night or and the hotel's very empty. Upgrade them to the better room. 
why not? Yeah. Now, explain to everybody why, um, what brought you to wanting to have this passion because it's really in the family. You're one of the first people to enter kind of this field more or less in a deeper uh, way, you know? Mm-hmm. So what, what brought that? Because my mom was more or less a hairdresser. My dad, biggest thing was construction. construction. You know, I mean, he did some waitering, you know, as a, he, 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 uh, he was a waiter for a while there. But mm-hmm. other than that, what brought you? I mean, it's a mixture of things. It, it honestly is. Um, I got to say the one thing that got me to start liking this industry in general having some sort of interest was uh the food by far the food you know i was always uh very intrigued by my mother's cooking you know um you know there's nothing like you know what your mother cooks you know really you know I, i live in new jersey now and every time i come home i always look forward to some of those things that my mother used to cook you know because of that reason so that kind of sparked it and i wanted to you know explore more i guess naturally so i did it in in the dumbest ways you know ramen noodles you know i saw my parents do eggs in ramen noodles you know so i wanted to do eggs in ramen noodles yeah no i remember you used to like throw all kinds of seasonings yeah, into ramen noodles i wanted noodles. to just make those you know the the best ramen noodles you've <laughs> ever had and little did i know i was probably destroying it cuz honestly ramen noodles are just great just out of the package you know but with that said You know, that was kind of one side to it. The food, loving the food, loving the passion behind the food, my mother always cooking. From another side, as you mentioned, my dad used to serve. He used to serve at this one, um, one, uh, uh, um, color hotel, you know, which you don't know what I'm talking about. And, uh, that one, we would go once in a while, you know, you and I, because it was just myself. And I'm assuming maybe sometimes you went by yourself as well with my, with my dad. And when I would arrive, you know, it's just a cool feel. Like people are like, just like, "Hey, what's up? How you doing?" And sometimes you'd see, you know, the the guests would know who my dad was. They'd be sitting at the bar. They'd be sitting having dinner, and they know who he was. And then my favorite part is he always gave me ice cream. So it was like, you know, like the real cool part. Like, hey, I'm gonna go get some ice cream, you know, where my dad works. So it was just a a, a cool feel to it, you know. And I was intrigued by it. Just I don't know what it was. The atmosphere. Because it wasn't like I saw him work. I just, I don't know, maybe the atmosphere. And then the last thing was, um, uh, I'm the firstborn. So because I'm the firstborn, I have a natural inclination to, I guess, thinking about my other brothers and, and one sister. You know, when growing up, you know, whether you like it or not, growing up, uh, many times, you know, uh, we would play something like Nintendo. We'd play Super Mario Bros. or something like that. And I would win. Not because I was necessarily better, but more because I was just a little older. So I understood the buttons. I understood it a little more. So I would just win because of that reason. And what would happen? You know, you'd, you'd get frustrated. You'd, you'd cry. And my mother would come and say, no, let him win. Let him win. You know, he's a little baby. You know, he's a boy. He's young. And whatever. So I'd follow. And I'd say, okay, no problem. So that just kind of just grew with me over time. You know, so you were born. And then all of the, the, the rest of our, our siblings were born. So it was just a natural thing. So 
when it came to my first job and uh, technical school that I went to, hospitality was there. And for some reason, it was just the one thing that I geared towards naturally because I had all these things combined in my life that made me want to go that way. And sure enough, I did. Now, um, the reason why I wanted to get into this whole hospitality, because um, I think you heard the fir first podcast that I created pretty much explaining the purpose for this podcast, you know, speaking a little bit of where society is moving nowadays, where everything's kind of, um, we don't ever notice it, but it's a slow transformation that's been happening. And I know that you see what's happening a lot in the food and beverage industry and, um, you know, one thing that we had talked about, which was you see people nowadays, you know, I was going through New York and as I was going through New York, I saw that everybody was sitting uh, inside of this one little uh, restaurant and there was stools, but a whole bunch of stools all facing towards a wall. And each person was eating by themselves on the cell phone by themselves. And it's crazy because nowadays you see, and there's a plug. So there's a stool and there's a huge bar and then it's facing a wall and there's a plug. Right in front of the, of the stool. I mean, like it, for almost for each individual for person. For each individual person because they understand, I mean, and this is crazy because society makes so much money, money off of this. And restaurants, so as you know, most restaurants, um, they, they do a demographics, right? So what, what they do is they say, all right, these are the people within our area. This is the age group that we have. These are the blacks, the whites, the Hispanics, the, you know, the in Middle Eastern people. Uh, you know, and they say, all right, now they have this age group. Now this age group is always on cell phones. So because they're always on cell phones, let's put plugs here because they're not going to be talking to each other. So let's make this as convenient for them, you know, so let's put all these uh, different things so it makes it easier for them. So I walked through and I remember going through uh, uh, an area in Manhattan and everybody was just on their cell phones, you know, and it's and it's crazy because uh, restaurants see that people are so caught up into uh, social networking, so caught up into cell phones, you know? And, and, and they find what you call in the industry a need. Yeah. They find a need. Yeah, you know, a, a need for people to want, uh, for, for people to uh, come to their restaurant and buy their food and sit there and do the same thing that they're doing at home. Correct. You know, and, and to me, that blows my mind, you know, and I don't know what you think about that. You know, there's there's a lot of these a lot of these restaurants, and you know, I, I moved to I, I'll call it the New York metro area. I live in New Jersey, northern New Jersey, so you know, technically, the anything within that like you know, fifteen twenty mile radius, you know, you consider New York metro, um, which is where I fall under. And when I first got out there, interesting enough, I mean, iPhones was just kind of starting to get real hot. Um, you know, it had been big already, but it was really starting to pick up. Um, Blackberries were just starting to fade out. You know, Androids were starting to pick up in a, in a bigger way. And, uh, you know, so let's just say when, when I first arrived to that area, 
the the need the the intense amount of uh, and I heard the first podcast. You know, there wasn't this whole intense amount of like being on our cell phones, being on our cell phones, being on our cell phones. So as time goes on, you know, I'm noticing a, a change. And I used to work for this food distribution company where I would go out to to um to the city quite a bit. And I would get exposed to anything from hotels to hospitals to restaurants. And you would see a lot of this slowly popping up, you know. And what started coming up even more is the little sign that says, we have Wi-Fi. With like a little smiley face on it. Yeah, like free, free Wi-Fi. Free Wi-Fi, yeah. It's like attracting people, you, you know. It's like, it, and at one point it became like a need. You know, like you have to have the Wi-Fi. If you don't have the Wi-Fi then then you you don't really get the customers because data was everything back then you know yeah you had to pay like a thousand dollars yeah like if one you you know gigabyte yeah if you went over like forget it like you know consider your whole month gone everything you work for all the income you made done you know so wi-fi was huge and little by little that started coming up and all you see is, you know, little by little, all these other, and then these cafes, cyber cafes, which are real big in the city, you know, which literally people come in and it's literally what you, what it sounds like. You come in with your laptop and your, or your electronics or whatever you plug in and you literally lose yourself while you drink some coffee and tea or in some cases, you know, beer, if they got like, you know, the alcoholic beverages or some wine or whatever. Um, I mean, generally not wine, but I mean, I've seen a couple of those around because eventually if somebody has come up with it, if you're in New York, somebody will come up with it, you know? Yeah. There's always a need. There's millions of people, millions and millions of people in one little, you know, big area. Time. Yeah. Big time, big time. So know? there's always a need for somebody somewhere for some group. You oh, know? especially in Manhattan, mm-hmm. especially in Manhattan, you know, in, in these inner cities. Definitely. So yeah, I mean, they've gotten big. And you know what the crazy thing is? So after we had, after you had mentioned this, you know, I heard on a on a BBC radio, you know, uh, and somebody was talking and they they explained, you know, uh, about a little bit about these uh, free Wi Fi's, and and it's crazy because a lot of people are actually trying to get rid of some restaurants are trying to get rid of the Wi Fi, but. And you had mentioned this, but Correct. the reason why they're trying to get rid of it is because they're coming to find out that people walk into the restaurant. Now, what? why would you want them to stay longer? Because they're going to order more food, because they're going to get thirsty, because they're going to want more drinks. And there's noticing that the people, what they do is they come in, you know, because they get hungry. So mm-hmm. somewhere along their day, they have to eat. Exactly. So they're going to go to the most convenient place that can plug in, charge their phone, eat food, sit, do what you got to do, do free Wi-Fi, and then leave, you know? But now, you know, as you know, there's there's so many different cell phone plans, you know, and Metro PCS is one of them, you know, that where they're giving you $25 unlimited talk, text, data, and pretty decent coverage, pretty decent speeds. Yeah, it's an amazing plan. And for you to go in there, you know... What's the need now for you to get free Wi-Fi? You don't need free Wi-Fi. Now they have these battery packs, you know? So now they don't need chargers to plug into a wall. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and then on top of that... And they, those, those things will charge like three phones. Yeah. You get you me? Know, so you can literally be there all day. Yeah, so now you don't need the plug. You don't need the Wi-Fi. 
So what do they do? They walk in, they eat, and they leave. You know, so BBC Radio was explaining more or less how people are trying to get rid of this. And it's funny. It's a coincidence how you had told me this, and then I, I ended up hearing this. Yeah. Because... But you heard it after? Right afterwards. Get out you of know, here. Which Let's is, which is pretty interesting. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of like it was meant to be for this, you know. But That's pretty cool. And, and they're saying they're actually losing customers or they're losing revenue because if me and you go in there and we sit down or let's say you and uh, your wife, you know, go and sit down, what happens? You begin to sit, you begin to talk, you order an app, you know, you take your time. The waitress comes back because it's a date, so you're trying to spend time, you know, trying to escape from the kids a little bit. Mm. The waiter comes, apps, drinks, comes back later, 15, 20 minutes later, you order your entrees. After that, 15, 20, 30 minutes later, it comes back for the dessert. You know, a person will spend hour, 40 minutes, you know, maybe more or less, say, in a restaurant. So as that time goes by, they're doing what they need to do, and they move off. You know, it, they, they move to each, um, each one of the, how do you call it? The, the different, like, you know, from apps to entrees. Oh, to dessert. yeah, yeah. The different, um, courses. Yeah, the different exactly. Courses. So they move through each course and as they're moving through each course, you know, they're, they're getting more. But what happens is a, a lot of these newer generations and even other generations that are falling right into it too, but they go in there, they do what they have to do and then they leave. They eat one meal and they get out of there, you know? Exactly. Because they ate their meal, they did what they needed to do, and then they left. And they left. And it's interesting, you know, as you, as you mentioned all that, you know, I'm literally getting all these thoughts, um, all these memories more than anything of, of how things used to be, you know? Because when I was a server, I mean, I think I started serving or waiting tables when I was about 15, I think. Started as a dishwasher, and, and then, you know, I got my, worked my way up to being a server, and, you know, I would serve, I would wait tables and people would sit down and they would actually conversate. You know, they'd be talking. If anything, if you came up to them too much, they get, they get mad, you know. And I'm saying that you get happy now if a server comes up to you too much. But you're more than likely probably just kind of just dismiss them, you know, because you're just kind of in your own world. But when you interrupt something that's a little meaningful for you, it kind of bothers you. So, like, if you ever have had that server where you've, if you've ever had that experience where you're sitting down and that server just keeps coming to you, keeps coming. We would have that when we were younger. When we would go out to eat for, you know, go out and have a lunch or a dinner and the server would just come back and come back. And we're just chatting it up. And, you know, our conversation would go here, there, left, right, you know, blue, black, yellow, whatever. And it would bother us, like, yo, like, go. Yeah, just get out of here, like for yeah, real. Because we've been in a deep talk, and yeah, like, like, oh, you, you need know, something like, else. And we're we're like, fine, like, oh. yeah, our dessert's fine for like the fifth time, you know, go, you know. And, anyways, the point is that, um, you'd see a lot of this, a lot of discussion, a lot of dialogue, um, a lot of laughter, you know, in some cases, anything, other things but laughter. And people would actually talk about the food, people would talk about what they didn't like, what they did like. You, you hear it sometimes. And they also talk about other things as well. But now it's a different story, like you said. I have a friend who owns a restaurant, all right, a restaurant in Jersey City. And uh, and in that, he, he offers no Wi-Fi. Um, and he actually encourages people. He has, like, signs saying, you know, don't... Um, 
and stay off your phones. You know, we encourage everybody to talk and whatnot. And, you know, and he says the reason why is because he went into the city, you know, which is what we see. And he sees all this craziness going on. Nobody looks at each other. Nobody talks. And he wants people to remember his food. And the problem is that when you actually go to a restaurant and you had mentioned that you're literally there, the person gets up, goes to the bathroom, and the first thing you do, you pick it up. It's like that angsty feeling, like, you know, and even though nobody's even probably texted you, nothing has vibrated, you just pick it up. I've even caught myself doing that once in a while. And I'll even ask myself why. Like, why did I just pick up this phone? You know, it's a, a natural thing. And that, as a culinary, um, uh, you know, somebody comes from culinary, for him, and opening up a restaurant, for his people, to, his patrons, their guests to come in, sit down, and walk out, it destroys him. When he has put his heart and soul into creating a food, a dish that you will talk about. You will literally mouth to mouth. You know, not necessarily yelp. I mean, he appreciates it, but he really likes that raw, raw form of people just loving, you know, uh, loving the food and talking about it. You know, so pretty much, um, you know, as I as I hear you say all this, it makes me think about how everything literally went from one end of the spectrum to the other end of the spectrum, where nobody really sits down and talks appreciates the food, appreciates the conversation, appreciates the atmosphere, you know, or even the negative things about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. You you, you, you kind of look at where things were back in, like, the 90s, you know, and you, you look and you think about that, you know, instead of people um, getting caught up in that moment and, and, and creating this memory, they're, they're – uh, living somebody else's life instead of taking that moment in, and and it's and it's crazy because it's a little bit more dangerous because you're not taking in the world for what it is, you know, whether it's negative or it's positive, you know, it, you know, th- back in the day, I remember you'd be sitting in a restaurant, and I don't know if you remember this, but there'd be smoking, like yeah. people, there'd be a smoking section and there would be a non-smoking a section. And, I mean, I don't even understand why they even did that because it didn't matter, the smoke you could would, still smell everything. Yeah. And it was just disgusting. I remember thinking, damn, like, oh, you know, even in airplanes. Remember that? Yeah. There was like a smoking section. It's like the smoking section would be like, you know, here's smoking and then 10 feet away is non-smoking. <laughs> and it's like, poof, you at, know, they're blowing. At the restaurant I worked at, the smoking section was just a step up. And then, like, it was just one level above. Like, you literally were, could have been five feet away. But the smoking section, you had to step up into this platform. And this whole platform here, which was pretty decently sized, was the smoking section. After that, there was literally no difference. Yeah, like, I remember us going out to dinner. And then my dad, you know, going off, you know, to, to the host to the hostess and, and asking, oh, can I get a non-smoking? Sometimes they'd bring us right next to the area. And, you know, my dad was always one of those thinker people, you know, kind of, I think that's what kind of have made us to always think about certain things, you know. And, uh, but something so simple as that, you know, he would ask for that. And the, the, the hostess would kind of bring us to like right next to the smoking section. And my dad would say, could you could you put it somewhere farther away because you know we it's right next to sh- 
and she'd look at my dad like he was dumb or something like sir this is the non-smoking like you're good don't worry (laughs) it's like you know and it's crazy how society begins to change in restaurants and and we begin to develop and you think to yourself you know are we moving in the right direction you know are we going towards where we're bettering ourselves you know you know but because now we've gone from not inhaling secondhand smoke to now going into you know uh being completely uh what's the word i'm looking for uh indulged into this media world you know social media you know and um Really, I mean, it, it, it's crazy because th- this is kind of where, 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 you know, you move towards. And the reason why is, you know, I don't know what you think about this, but families, you know, you see many families uh, and, and a, lot of, a lot of young uh, people who, who have this social skill and, and can dialogue and can talk and um, it all comes from families, you know, families Correct. who would sit down and talk with their children. And, and we had a lot of that, you know, we, Correct. my mom, every single day, our mom, every single day would, uh, would make dinner always. It never failed. I mean, even when we were older and we ate out, she would be pissed. She would say, what are you doing eating out? You know, for who knows whatever reasons, but this is uh, what creates uh, communication, mm-hmm. you know. And many people, as as we were kind of speaking earlier, many people don't like to talk. They don't like to dialogue anymore. They like to just, you know. And this is being destroyed because you see a lot of people nowadays. They they've gotten rid of the table, the dinner table. Yeah. And they don't have it no more. And and there's people who are um, they have breakfast, you know, and and they'll eat breakfast standing up. Or, or, at, or at the island, or, the, the, the breakfast island in the kitchen. Yeah, you know, and, and each one in different times. So the father wakes up, he eats breakfast by himself. The children get up, you know, the mom or the dad will make them breakfast and then they start off doing something else. And then the mom eats breakfast whenever she can. Yep. And then lunchtime comes and each one of them makes their own sandwich or who knows what. And then it continues doing what they got to do. And then dinner comes along and they don't have a table to sit around. So what do they do? They usually tend to sit around in front of the TV or they have a TV nearby and their, their rooms wa- or their rooms, you know? So the first thing they do is, you know, and, and TV really falls into a little bit of that social media, I think, nowadays, you know, the way that TV is, you know? Yeah, I mean, because if you think about it, it was, it was social, it was the social media before the social media, yeah. you know, even arrived as we know it today. You know, it was, it was a way to contact within the people, you know, this reality TV, you know, from people getting on there and speaking about different situations of their life. You know, you have a lot of this TLC. But anyways, so it, it kind of was that social media. So you see how how a lot of these people who, who, who have gotten rid of that, they've lost that dialogue, you know. They've lost that sense of connection in their uh, their homes, you, you know, know? And, and and I like that you mention that because you you make us think of our of uh, of uh, our brother Danny, who I mean to me is probably the best example 
as to how crucial and important this type of atmosphere is of sitting down, dining, you know, uh, amongst the family where you literally see face to face, you know, because we have a brother who has autism and, and, uh, you know, in his younger years, you know, it was something that couldn't be diagnosed really. It's hard. And, you know, my mother struggled a lot trying to figure out what's wrong with my child, what's so different about him. And one of the things that when they, we fi she finally found an expert, said, you know, uh, have him socialize, have him socialize. And the great thing about that is that we were a big family, so it was almost impossible not to socialize. It was like, you know, you were forced to do it whether you liked it or not. You know, and uh, it helped him truly develop his communication skills, you know, and I get really impressed to see him how he is now, um, how he communicates, how he talks, how he's managed to learn, you know, two languages. Now, now mind you, if uh, a lot of people don't know, but if you met our brother Danny, you in the first five minutes of talking to him, you would not know that he's autistic. Most in general, most um, people who have autism, you catch it within the first 30 seconds. Correct. You begin you talking. Know, immediately. And Danny, it's amazing because... Um, it takes time. Yeah. Because uh, as you start getting to know him, you realize that he has a, a, a way of thinking that just doesn't really go along with what you're normally used to seeing. Yeah. He tends to think a little differently. He, he tends to just blurt out what the truth is. You know, he doesn't know the norms of society and kind of doesn't know how to uh, differentiate. Sometimes censor himself. Yeah, you know. Yeah. I remember Rosalba one time, she was pregnant. And it was the first, um, uh, it was the first, my first daughter, you know, Sephora. And, you know, she was sensitive, you know, you you know, you have your first baby and your first pregnancy, you're going through all these different uh, scenarios in which, you know, people are saying things to you that you've never heard before and you take it the wrong way. I could already see where you're going with and, this. And yeah, and she was probably five, and Rosalba is, you know, she's she's thin, you know, yeah. and and when she had Sephora, you know, she had like, you know, um, one, of, one of my cousins always says that she was, uh, one of our cousins always say, you know, she's like a snake Who's, that swallowed an egg, you know, because she, she was so thin, and then she had this big ball, you know. So, yeah. so Danny didn't know how to articulate his words, and he just kind of looks over at her, and he wanted to say, "Wow, like your belly's big," or you know, the the baby's growing, and he just looks over and he goes, "Wow," he goes, "You're fat, huh?" <laughs> and and uh, Rosalba just, oh, I mean, we left like. Probably thirty to forty minutes she afterwards, was she, so she was bawling. Oh, were she was crying. She was like, "Oh my god, roof. I look so fat." But, but back to this subject, you know. Uh, but, but Danny, um, the psychologist even said, "She goes, what are you guys doing different?" And after kind of talking with my mother, she was able to to get down that you know what? Well, the reason why he is the way he is is because you sit down and you eat, and it, and it's amazing because. You listen, I listen to so many guys. So, you know, I, I'm constantly cutting hair, you know, mm. so I'm listening to stories of many, many guys who talk to me about different scenarios, different times. And I always come to that question. I'm like, oh, you know, because I do understand that because I remember 
uh, from Danny what the psychologist had said. So I do think about that and I go, okay, you know, well, I asked some people, I'm like, do you guys eat like dinner together? You know, and they'll tell me, they'll say no. And then you begin to see the connection of all their problems because, um, Mm -hmm. so a little bit of history for some people. So back in the time, there was a a moment uh, that they used to call agape, right? That now the agape was a time to eat, a time to uh, communicate. Communicate. And uh, Christians would do this. They would have this moment of agape, you know, where they would um, get around and eat together. And that would be the moment that they would all communicate and talk to each other, right? So uh, this kind of, you see, you know, is, is, is something that has kind of been done over time. And then as TV came around, this started to get destroyed because even in the 50s, in the 40s, in the 30s, you know, people were, were still this, let's eat together and we talk, you know, let's let, you know, the father would sit around and ask, how was your day? What did you do today? Yeah, what, right. Ask the daughter, oh, how was school? The son, you know, it, that was the moment. And many people well, say you, you literally had the, the opportunity to, to learn about your children about your children and about exactly. your wife you know and you would find out your son was getting bullied or if your son was bullying somebody or you know the daughter would say well so and so was doing this or john was doing that you know and and you you know maybe she was snitching quote unquote but you would find out at that moment at the dinner table what was that, going on because other than that when do you get the chance to talk you Never. know this this is something very important because you wake up in the morning everybody's in a rush exactly. brushing your teeth you, you need to get out quick because who... Eat, school, get out yeah. of here. And, and everybody splits off. All right, yep. let's go. Everybody exactly leaves. how it is in my household. Yeah. Then you come back, right? And everybody's picking up. So the first thing you want to do is get the more important thing. Let's do the homework. Homework. Let's make sure the kids eat, you Dinner. know? Yep. Uh, and then the, the mom obviously can't talk to the kids because the mom begins to cook, you know? Begins to prepare dinner. And you think about it, right? So let's say... It, then you start to eat and then you eat in front of the TV. Is anybody talking? No, because no. everybody's watching TV. Exactly. Then after that, you say, all right, well, now it's 7.30, 7.40, you know, and usually most kids are being put to sleep between 8.30 and 9. So what's the first thing they got to do? They got to set themselves up, you know, go get find your clothes. Bed. And of course, the kid takes forever to get ready for bed. Exactly. You know, I send my daughter to go do stuff and it takes her like 30 minutes to find, a, you know, just underwear you, you know? spend 30 minutes telling them go find, go, go get your clothes on yeah go brush your teeth yeah you know and uh so they spend all that time doing that and then at the end you know they're brushing their teeth they're showering then they're falling asleep you know and then by nine o'clock they're out so where do you get the time to talk in the middle of all that i mean you can't be talking while you know the wife is making dinner you can't be talking to them while you know and and, and people say oh well i talk to them while they do their homework no you can't because you have to concentrate on doing their homework, on, the homework. On, on educating them at that moment. You can't talk to them while they're sleeping, you know, unless you're having a conversation with them, you know. But, you know, and, and, and as, you're, as you're saying all of this, you know, I'm thinking to myself, you know, about things that I've come across in the past. You know, going back to a little bit um, touching, um, but not necessarily get staying there back to my brother. Uh, or our brother, um, Danny, um, because I have met, and I'm pretty sure you've come across them too. You know, you've come across um, 
autistic uh, children or even adults um, at this point, um, as it has been something that's been around for quite a while at this point, you know. And there are some, but you can tell that there is a an emptiness in them, a sadness in them. All right. So, and and I'm not saying uh, the autistic, you know, children are, are the only ones. It's just that I can, I generally tend to see that it's more visible in them. Yeah. It's you know, they they, they don't put up a front. Yeah. They don't hide their emotions. They don't hide their emotions yeah. like most of most people do. Most of society does. So that's why I use that example. You know. And I see that if it weren't for for the constant, you know, sitting down and eating and talking to him, what's wrong? Well, you know, why are you so angry? Uh, how was your day? You know, they, he wouldn't be who he is now. You know, and then you see other children or other adults I've come across who are autistic and you see a completely different world. And, you know, when I get to meet them, I think their autism is very similar to my brother's. You know, it's very similar where my brother, you know, from the beginning, you, you could tell there was something different about him. But, you know, for the most part, it wasn't a severe form of autism, to put it in plain words. And, um, you know, so and you see how, how different they are. And it's interesting, you know, because when uh, some time ago uh, in the news, they were um, they were saying that that, uh, you know, they have made it this uh this uh, study and in this study they saw that 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 there was a link to the children who are depressed that didn't actually eat and sit down with their families i think i had read that somewhere i link. forgot where but you I know did, and I did a lot of people have said it you know and a lot of people have done you know um studies or or, or looked into the studies of universities like the washington post new york times you can find it on there um, and, and, and pretty much what it says is, you know, the families that do not take the time to sit down at least a few times a week. So it's not even like sitting down seven times a week, five times a week, at least a few times a week, you know, they, they, they've seen the link of, of that, that particular situation where they don't sit down, they don't eat, uh, you know, it's all either takeout. It's all, uh, you know, frozen food dinners, you know, which makes me think of another topic, uh, but I'll leave that for a second. Um, and, and and it's just not a dynamic of actually sitting down, enjoying each other's company and figuring out that they actually find that a lot of these children have that type, come from that type of, of household. Now, you take the children that grew up and now they... And you, you know, you, they made studies that, you know, why are you a, a little, you know, why do you have such a different mentality? Why are you, do you seem happier than the rest? You know, and they find out these actually came from households that sat down and ate together and, and talked and dialogued and hi mom, hi dad, you're grounded, go to your room. You know, I, like at the very least, like, you know, that sounds stupid, but like, hey, you know, you find out about, oh, well, Susie got a D today in class, you know, and, uh, well, Susie, why'd you get a D today? Well, because I decided to slap my teacher across the face, you know, and go to your room. You're grounded. Well, hey, at least you know that Susie slapped, you know, the teacher across the face. You know, yeah. you know it as a, as a parent and you just grounded your child, you know, imagine. And, 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 you know, the thing is when you tend to, when you, when you decide to watch TV while you eat. You're telling your child because 
a child a child has to be talked to all right because if a child is not talked to then he feels i'm not important enough you know so when when the mom and the dad decide to watch tv or listen to music in the background or you know that tells the child something you know uh, parents the parents who tend to go ah that's stupid that's dumb i mean it's because they're probably doing it and they want to continue doing it you know but really you know when 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 they do that they're telling the child you're not important enough you know i'd rather watch tv i'd rather listen to that background music and find a way to drown you out while you're talking than to have to listen to you and give you a hundred percent attention you know and that's what they tell the kid and and people don't look at it like that and people say oh this is so dumb that's dumb that's you know but there was a studies that was done and i think you know about this you know that um back in uh i'm gonna say in the world war ii era they did a studies where they had a whole bunch of kids that they didn't touch they fed them right yes i've heard this like yeah they they fed them they changed their diapers they washed them they did everything everything that a human being would need to be able to survive the only thing they didn't do was hug them hold them talk to them sing to them they didn't do none of that no type of the nurturing part of exactly uh, nurturing emotional contact so what did they do then they did a whole section a whole nother group and what did they do with them they would do Everything the same, except they would pick them up, each kid, pick them up, hug them, kiss them, love them, talk to them, and then put it back down. Now, I don't know if you remember how that study ended. Do you remember? Uh, no, I actually, I mean, I remember hearing So the, the kids who didn't, um, the kids who didn't get talked to or any emotional or any nurturing love, a few of them were dying. I mean, that's crazy that. The human being needs contact. It needs to be talked to. You need, if you're not talked to, you don't feel love. You don't feel that anybody cares enough to talk to you. You know, it, 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 it takes away your confidence. And at that dinner table, you know, that moment of hospitality, right? Where mm-hmm. you love, because how does the mom show love? You know, the, if, if you come to my house, right, and I give you, and I say, hey, what's up, Joe? Good. And I give you a hungry Jack's pound dinner plate, right? That you could just throw in the microwave and you're good. You're like, oh, nice. Okay, thanks, man. You know, you feel a little bit of, 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 a, of an appreciation, you know? But if I go all out and I, I make feel more you, like, oh, thanks, I was hungry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but if I make a lasagna and then I make, you know, a, a nice bruschetta 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 and i give you a wine i go out and i buy you a nice wine then i make a creme brulee you know and then at the end i give you a moscato wine to go with that creme brulee you know and then we finish off with a coffee you know you're like damn well that'll probably be memorable yeah and you go as it it has been because we you know we have a cousin who's amazing chef, you know, and I can't tell you all of the times that I went over his place and he would just sit down and, well, I would sit down and he would just make a beautiful meal 
you know, and it, it wouldn't be any anything serious. Like as far as like the day, it wasn't like a birthday, it wasn't a celebration, it wasn't anything. It was just he was taking some food, making something really good. Then we sat down, everything was nice, nice, and we ate. And I remember those days. I got, I was literally just thinking about the time that he made some steak, some simple mashed potatoes, a fresh, fresh homemade sauce with some nice vegetables. A very simple American meal. And I could just I could literally remember. And it made you feel loved, you know? That and that's what the mom gives the child. The the child looks over and says, you know, he's able he doesn't understand this, but in his subconscious, he knows mom loves me because mom took the time, you know, out of her busy schedule to make me this beautiful meal, to give me this nice salad, this nice lasagna, meatloaf, uh, who knows what, you know, but when you decide to make a microwave dinner, the child, I mean, he goes, thanks for feeding me, but deep in, he doesn't understand. He, you know, until one day he realizes that, that his friend's mom makes his food. And then he goes, damn, like, my mom don't care about me enough. Because why does she, what's the, need, what's the need for microwave? A microwave is to do it fast. Do it fast, why? Because to do the next thing. Because you're not important enough for me to take two hours of my day to make food for you so that you can have a beautiful meal. So microwave is so things can be fast so then we can eat and I can do what I got to do next because I don't want to waste this time with you. Exactly. And in, in, in all honesty, I mean, probably the best, one of the best ways that a mother could show her love for her children is through cooking. I mean, in the beginning, I mentioned uh, how this passion or, you know, this kind of thing I've always wanted to work in the hospitality I mean I, even now I still work in a way where I like to help people I like to in the, the industry I work in now and um, and it's all because of my mother because of the cooking you know and it's that nostalgia and, 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 and you know sitting down and wanting to show my kids you know hey you know here's the good food you know look at what your mother made for you you know, and, I, and you see it. You see it. You know, there are times where my daughter sit down and they'll say, Mommy, I love you. Oh, yeah. yeah. They'll just say, Mommy, I love you. Like at the end or in the middle of dinner. Something and, like that. Just say, I love you. Out of the blue. It's not like they're like, you know, talking and la, la, la. It'll be out of the blue. And, oh, I love you too. And the times that I've... That I've either asked or no, even in occasions they'll even say it themselves. There's I love you because you made the best meal today. You know, like you know, uh, my wife makes uh, uh, a lot of Peruvian food, obviously, and there's this one um, that is called arroz chaufa. It's amazing, amazing. You know, yeah, no, uh, that. the Peruvian fried rice. Let's call it that, and. And I, you know, when they make it, when she makes it, my daughter just gets so excited, and they'll they'll say things like that. I love you, you know, because for some reason, without thinking about it, they've connected the time that my wife took to make this 
and because arroz, arroz chaufa is time consuming it is time consuming. it's not that hard but it's time because you have a lot of different di different types of ingredients and they go at different different times and you have to have like four different pans because one you got to cook the eggs the other one the rice the other one the chicken you know it's a lot of different things um exactly you know they've managed to connect all the those blood sweat and tears as you would call it you know in making this food with the love that she has for them and they just come out and say, I love you because yeah. you made a roast chapa today. My daughter, my daughter has said that a few times. Uh, she'll, she'll look at my, my wife and she'll say, uh, mommy, she'll say, I love you. And then Rosalba will say, well, why? And she says, because you cooked, you know, because you make me food, you know. And now, mind you, I'm the type of person that I don't like to eat too much takeout. I like really for Rosalba to make food and for us to eat that way. So, I mean, it's crazy because you see where where society moves and it's just moving towards the direction. And, and, and this is becoming, you know, in, um, such a common thing in every household. I, you don't know how many people have offered me because they know that we have a big family. Now, Joseph has... Um, you have five kids, you know? Five kids. I have four kids, and I'm on the way to the fifth one, you know? And so everybody always knows, you know? I, I don't know about you, but for me, people are always offering me things because they're like, oh, you know, my kids grew out of this, and Juan's going to have a thousand more kids, you know? They always oh, yeah. joke around about that. God, but, all the time. So they people have offered me certain things, you know? They'll, they'll tell me, oh, you know, we're getting rid of the table, you know? And my... I need a big table because we're six and we're about to be seven at a table, you know? So people will offer me a table. I would take it, but the problem is they offer me a table for four. For four. You know, and it's like, I don't yeah. fit in a table for four. I need a table of 10 because I'm going to grow into that, you know? But but people offer me a table for four, and I'm like, and I'll ask them. I'll say, well, why? Why? I'm throwing it out. Well, well, what are you going to eat on? Ah, we got a little island there that we'll just eat. We, we eat real quick. Ah, nobody eats at the table, you know, and it's, and it's crazy. I had a guy offer me a table once, and I had a similar situation. I asked him, why are you getting rid of the table? I mean, the, the table seated four. Um, if you threw the leaves out, it was six, but it was just uncomfortable, so I didn't want it. But, you know, the point of it is that after I asked him, no, nah, I don't need it. And I said, well, I mean... Are you, so you're buying a new table? I kind of just went to conversation. I was like, hey, so what are you going to get now? You know, he's like, no, I'm not getting anything, you know. Uh, so what are you going to eat on? Well, I have a pool table, you know. And and sure enough, he had, he had brought a pool table. He had bought one. And he had nowhere to put it. So what did he get rid of? He got rid of the dinner table first. Yeah. And he has a child. Yeah, and, and, and some people will use coffee tables. Because mm -hmm. they're sitting around the TV, so... The, the couch is low, the coffee table, you know, you can't eat on a table on a couch, you know, so coffee table is low, couch is low, it's easy access, you can watch your movie, you know, and, and, and the kids, shh, 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 be quiet, be quiet, you know, don't talk, don't talk, I'm watching what I need to, and you're telling the child, you're not important enough for me, you know, you, eh, and, ah, uh, you know, and, and it's crazy because, uh, you know, the, the child, is gonna, the child is a product and an image of what we uh, form them and raise them to be, you know. And we're teaching them when, 
when you when you grow up, you be like this too. And they're gonna do one better. They're gonna say, let's just ignore them, feed them, get them away from us. You know, I'm gonna do one better than my father or my mother. I'm gonna make my child completely get away from me. I'm gonna go put another room where he is. And it's crazy because there's some places in Europe where they're doing this. You know, In Time Magazine spoke about this. You know, Ikea, um, I was looking on Ikea, I think it was Ikea, and we, we, you know, I don't know if you get those little magazines where they have all the catalogs. Yeah, they have special tables there just for stuff like that, you know, where it's called the child dinner table or the child, I forgot what it is. It's like a special table just for the kid to eat dinner, and then the parent can eat somewhere completely different. Why? Because they've said, we'll, we'll help you with this. We'll give you the object so that you can send your kid off in another room and then you could eat by yourself doing your work, watching your game, watching your TV, you know? And, and it's mind-blowing. And it's all centered around, around you know, me, 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 me. Exactly. You know, because it's not like IKEA is going around saying, well, we want to create this atmosphere. We want to create this family culture. You know, we want to push it this way. I mean, well, maybe they are. I don't know. But uh, it's they see a need. They see a need in society. Well, you know, we have the, the working mom. You have the working mom who has no time or, you know, the family or, or the single mom or the single dad or whatnot. And they see the situation of, of what society is in right now. And they want to put something out there that will help them that will help them so it, instead of helping ourselves we're sort of you know i guess uh, society is feeding this to us like you know like all right you know this is your situation now let's let us help you with your current situation you know and before you know it the situation has gotten worse you know you have mentioned tv and the you know uh, Back, they used to sit down in the fifties and forties and thirties, and I'm already, and I'm thinking, even in the fifties, it was already starting then. You know, where they had the console right there, and we've seen it. You know, we've seen it in the in those uh, Nick at Night shows and whatnot, where you see them sitting down and they're watching the TV at the end of the table. You know, little by little, that was like the beginning, and now what happened? It's not even a TV at the end of the table now. Now the table's gone. The table's gone. It's the TV in each room. You know, where the son goes and he's playing his games. You know, the, the girl goes and watches, I don't know, Grey's Anatomy or whatever they're watching nowadays. I don't know. Um, you know, the father goes or the mother goes and, and, and watches, I don't know, Sex in the City. Uh, that's probably an old show, but, you know, I just the last one I remember. And none of them are actually sitting down to eat. None of them. Yeah, each one is in his own room doing his own thing away. And, exactly. and it's the me, 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 what you said, you yeah, know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then now what happens is, you know, like one of my friends who's a psychologist or a psychiatrist, I can't remember which one's which. You yeah. know, I just the know psychiatrist is the one who can uh, prescribe. prescribe pills and the psychologist is the one that tries to understand the Okay, what's so going she's on. a psych- psychologist and now she works in the state of Rhode Island um, and she works with the most severe cases of, uh, of child abuse, the most severe cases of, uh, you know, domestic violence or whatever it may be, anything from the deaths of the children 
and you know you can imagine before that whatever it could be but you know all the extreme cases and I would ask her like you know why did you get into this like what it, what about it and she you know and, and I knew her for the most part because I, I mean I didn't know her as a little, little kid but I met her in high school you know, as a freshman and we just, uh, you know, we became friends. And I would find out about her, her life and her at home. And she was always intrigued about, of our family. Always intrigued. Like, oh, you know, you have such a big family. Your mother's great. Always talk about it. You know, the crazy thing is I never found myself saying that about her family. Not that I didn't want to. Not that I didn't want to. It's just I wasn't being mean. It's just that I didn't find because I saw a dynamic in my family that I, I enjoyed. So, you know, I didn't say, oh, you know, I, I love the way your family does this because I didn't see it. Her, her father was divorced from her mother. The mother lived in one state, the father lived in another. You know, the mother was with a stepdad that that stepdad would be very uh, verbally abusive to her. You know, the father, just to show how much he loved her, would let her do whatever she wants. You know, give her the freedom she wants. So, like, she could smoke weed in my house. It's fine. You know, hell, I even smoke with her as well. Yeah, I'll, I'll smoke one with her. You know, and he and he never smoked weed. You know, so it was this dynamic. And when I asked her why you got into it, it's because she wants to help children that grow up that way and help them and help them because she knew herself that what she lived at home, her mother working, being with a guy who she didn't, who the, her herself, the daughter, didn't approve of. But of course, the mother wants to find a place, somebody to love her. Somebody that she can be with because she feels alone. You know? So why does she put her children in danger? And other children, some of them got physically abused, some of them got verbally abused. Her was more verbal because she was the oldest. She was able to go and get out of the situation. You know? And... And you find a situation now where they don't sit down for dinner. The parents, the mother, don't know what the hell's going on with her. She has no idea. She did all this crazy stuff. And then she chooses a career where she wants to go and help these children that have the same situation because she knows the pain that they're going through. She understands the pain. So she went into the most harshest of the all realities, which is the ones that go through the major abuse, the ones that go through the, you know, and, and God, not God forbid, but the ones that unfortunately uh, sometimes die in these situations. And she tries to pick up the pieces with whoever's left, you know. And this is where society is. It's, it's kind of sad, you know, when I think about it, because I, being in the food and beverage industry, you know, you've seen so many different sides of this, seeing families and servers hate serving families. Yeah. They hate serving kids. But I know, well, and I, maybe because I came from a big family, I knew if I saw a family that came in with four kids and they sat down to eat, I know if I took care of them the best that I could, they would probably give me the best tip of the night. Yeah, And it's funny too, because actually we... That actually happens. We will go to certain restaurants, and when we go out to the restaurants, the waiters will actually look over, and they kind of don't treat us with 100% attention. But it's funny, though, because um, this is a connection with money and happiness. So as soon as we're done eating, 
they bring over the check and of course you can always tell when they're it's a fake smile and it's a real smile and they're real happy and after they're done serving us you know because i work in an industry where you know a lot of tips and obviously you had worked in that industry with being a server and tips and everything but i tip them and as soon as i tip them and they see my tip all of a sudden they're like would you like oh, anything yes. else would you like water well complimentary soda do you need anything is there anything else i can help you with and it's like now that you saw my tip now you're happy you know mm -hmm. i mean okay i understand you know Oh, even the worst side, in my opinion, I, I, I get that part, but I think the one that bothers me the most, because in the industry, um, as you're serving, all right, as a server, uh, and some states, are, they say it's a law, I'm not sure which ones, but most states, it's not a law, um, it's more like a standard, where you, if you get a table of like six or eight and above, it's, it depends on each state, you know, and how, you know, they have accustomed themselves to doing it. Um, but where I, where I used to be at, um, here, here in, in this area, um, which is in Connecticut, you know, if it was eight or above, automatically gratuity, right? Automatically. So, um, but that's assuming all adults and whatnot. So it's just an automatic thing. And, and most of the time they wouldn't have a problem with it. You know, nobody would ever have an issue with it when it was that size table. So I've come in to a restaurant, and this is before my last daughter was born, so we're six. You know, we're six, we go to a restaurant, I have a one-year-old son sitting in a high chair who's probably not going to eat that much. You know, I have kids who are going to be messy, of course, and then they bring, they bring the check, and then they put down, you know, already gratuity added. Gratuity added, and you know, I think to myself, you know, how concerned you are about making and you know what and they'll put like 15 percent you know and usually i do like 20 exactly 23 percent and if you took care of me well i'll even go higher than that yeah. you know and if i come back to that restaurant i'll hope that you're around yeah and I'll, I'll you'll specifically ask for them and then you'll tip them that same amount and if they do just as good or better then you'll tip even more even than more far. exactly yeah. exactly and, and it's crazy because they look over and they see a whole bunch of kids they don't want to deal with it. they don't want to you know and many 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 servers feel entitled to tips you know and it's crazy yes. because you know tip is is kind of like how well you did you know exactly it's like oh my god you did great you know you know it's like somebody coming you know to you and wow good job man good job high five you know and they give you that nice high five and and whatnot you know, oh man, that was amazing. Let me buy, let me buy you a beer. Yeah. Let me buy you a beer. You know, that's just their their compliment to you. You know, and when I would work as a server, there were some servers who felt entitled to those tips. They felt entitled. So when I step in, you know, and and I've been working there for a couple of months. They've been working there for a year, and I'm making more money than them. They're not understanding why. Like they, they for the life of them, they can't understand like. You know, they're blaming the hostess saying, you sat in more tables when I know for a fact I had two less than you, you know, or you gave him the big tables when I know for a fact that we both had eight tops, what we call eight people per table. We both had an eight top. We both had a six top. So it was actually pretty even across the board. Yet I walk out with $60 more, $100 more. Why? Why? She felt entitled 
But she didn't realize she had to actually work for it. Work for it. And in the first podcast, you sort of mentioned that, you know, we're, we're working hard. I realized I had to work if I wanted to make the money. I had to actually work hard. I had to serve. I had to clear. I had to pour water. You're out of water. I wouldn't even ask you if you want water. I just pour you some. And I let you tell me no. No, 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 I'm all right. Okay. Then I, I wouldn't pour any water or coffee if it was breakfast, you know, or, or, or top off your, your, your beverage if it was, you know, a soft drink. You know, little things like that where people just appreciate it, even if they're not going to drink it. It's just like, you know, you just came in. And now if I do get thirsty, well, hey, my server just served me a nice cup of fresh, fresh beverage with fresh ice. So what happens? Just naturally, they feel good. So naturally... When they spent 100 bucks and they could have given you 15 bucks, which is like the norm, you know, 15 to 20 percent, I would get a $30 tip, a $40 tip. Sometimes I'd even get further than that. I'd get up to upwards of 50 percent sometimes of a tip. And they would wonder, why? Why? Why is he walking out with more money? And then they actually, at one point, they actually wanted a couple of servers wanted to motion to do a pool a pool of tips and of course i was against that i was like heck no because i know that i work hard to get my tips you know and, and that brings up the and that and that whole entitlement thing because people feel well i you know since all my life i was given something even though i didn't deserve it you know i'm entitled you know and think about that when when you're when you're saying let's pool our money you know the best servers and the ones who get the best tips, those aren't the ones who are saying, let's pull the money. No, they're saying, no, let's hold our own money. You know, it's always the ones who are the lazy workers who uh, don't want to pull in the effort to be able to get those tips. They're always saying, let's pull our money, you know, because I deserve a chunk of your money. Why do you deserve a chunk of that money? Why? Because society raised you to think that you're entitled to have somebody else's money. Somebody else's effort, somebody else's hard work, you're entitled to that, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's how um, a lot of Americans, it's crazy. That's how a lot of Americans think. They think I'm entitled Correct. to think, you know? And it's crazy because, you know, um, that's that's where, where we're moving. Because even the children now, um, there's that no child left behind. I don't know if you guys have that law. Yes, yes. The yeah. no child left behind is... It's been a while because I haven't been in school, but yeah. I remember mm-hmm. that very, very clearly now. The no child left behind is no matter how bad you're doing, you're going to get moved up. You know? And, I mean, understandable with some kids with learning disabilities, but what about the other kids who yeah, don't have... for the most part, I think that's one of the most ridiculous things that could that somebody could put up. You know, it's like saying, oh, you got an F. All right, well, you know, do better next year. Go ahead, move on. Go ahead, go to eleventh grade. Yeah, you know, and and you destroy you you destroy society when you when you give a kid something, you know, and it's crazy. Kids will cry like crazy in the barber shop. You know, you're cutting hair, and kids are just bawling their eyes out. And what's the mom doing? What's the father doing? Here you go. Here's a candy. Candy. Here you go. Here's a a, a cookie. Oh, you want a toy? Here you go. I remember one time I was, um, me and my wife were dropping off or picking up our daughter from school. And the mom, instead of saying, you know, the mom, instead of saying, either you stop it 
or you go home and you're going to get ground. Instead, she was bargaining with the child. She was saying, please, please be quiet. If you, if you stay quiet, if you stop crying, I promise we'll go get you a toy. This lady every single time was saying, if you, if you stop crying, I'll go buy you a toy at Toys R Us. You know? And this is how we raise our children, you know? Because the child, the child in a way knows in the back of his head, you know, because the, the baby, as he begins to grow up, how does the baby get you to feed them? They cry. They cry, you know? And then as they continue and they're able to articulate their words, the hope really is that your child can say, I want to eat. I'm hungry. Instead of at three months old and then you begin to feed the baby at night because you know uh, his diaper needs changing, he needs to be burped or he needs to be fed or he needs a shower or he's tired. You know, the five more or less things that all yeah, parents, exactly. that, you know, and the thing is, is you never, you never uh, take that away from the child. So you continue to feed into that crying, you know, and I had to learn this the hard way because with Sephora, you know, uh, with Sephora, I had to, uh, you know, kind of break that because I couldn't bear to see my child suffer. I couldn't bear to see the child suffer. So I would give her things just to make her stop crying because I didn't want to see her suffer. I would see her suffering and I'd say, okay, no, I can't deal with this. Here, here, here. It hurts me too much to see you suffer, you know? And people say, no, 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 it's not her. Yeah, it is. You know, maybe I'm not bawling, crying like her of her, but inside me deep in, 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 in the sublime of my subconscious, I'm thinking, you know, something does hurt me here. You know, it's, it, it, I don't want to see her sad, you know, or I don't want to see her cry. So you give it to her. And then as the kid continues to grow up, you never break that habit. The kid stays a child up until 15 years old. You know, I want a cell phone because every one of my friends are even worse now. Now they're 10 years old, 11 years old with cell phones, you know, and they're saying, I want a cell phone. All my friends have a cell phone. So because you just want to see him happy and you don't want him, you don't want to see him to be the outcast in society. What's the first thing you do? You buy him a cell phone because uh, he he's crying for it, and I see that he's sad. We can't bear to see our children suffer. You know, it bugs society to see that that their child is suffering, and it keeps getting worse. And it keeps getting worse if you think about it, because uh, you know I have the mentality, quote unquote, not me personally, because I, I I don't. I uh, if you tell me you want something. You know, just because you want it, I'm not going to give it to you because you start bugging out. You know, that's not how I treat my daughters uh, in any way, shape, or form. Um, but just, you know, talking about that, you, you see how how this can progressively get worse, you know, because it starts off one way, and then now the child grows up with this sense of entitlement, sense like, I deserve it, I'm going to get it. And then as time goes on, you know, they they have kids, and what do they do? You know, they're going to, and then it gets to a point They're going to do what they were taught to do. Exactly. It's going to get to a point where it's lost. It's forgotten. Like, nobody remembers how it is to be authoritative with your children. And, and, and you know, a lot of people don't know is, is this is psychology says this, religion says this, I mean, philosophy, everything. To correct is to love. You know, because when you don't correct the child, 
you're you're telling him I don't have enough time I don't have enough energy in me to waste my time to waste my energy having to explain to you you know that you're doing wrong and why you're doing it wrong so I don't love you enough to correct you so the first thing I want to do, and, and, and you'll see it, they hit the kid, they beat the kid because they're like, I can't waste my time with you. It, it bugs me that I have to do this with you, you know? And I, I do believe in some way, some corporal or, you know, punishment and, you know, but, but not to abuse, to beat the crap out of them, to say, oh my God, you know? Okay, you know, I, I, I do a lot of that timeout rule, you know, which is, you know, because... And the reason why I do the timeout thing is because time uh, kills humanity. Time without meaning kills humanity. Yes. You know, because if I tell you, right, let's say, let's say that you're a football player. Or let's say that you've dedicated your whole life to, uh, you know, to, to, to figuring out uh, uh, the, the, the science behind the sun. Your whole life, 30 years. And after 30 years, I tell you, guess what, Joe? I just found out that that sun that you've been looking at, it's actually a flashlight that this guy has been like pointing at. You're going to go, are you effing kidding me? You're going to tell me that I've wasted 30 years of my life to some fool up there that's been poking a flashlight at me and pointing it at me? And he's standing at a high tower and I and it's blinding me and that's what it is. It, it would kill you because now the time that you've used in your life has no meaning. So it's been wasted. So it, it kills you. And and children understand this. And this is why I like the timeout rule. People go, ah, timeout, that's dumb. You know, it has to be done within reason, you know. It it, it can't be too long. Because then it has no meaning. The kid begins to wander off. He begins to think about things. He begins to use his imagination. They start finding a way to have fun within their own. Within their own. So they have to feel the time without meaning within their age group. So that's why they say, you know, if they're three, three minutes. minutes. If they're four, four Four minutes. minutes. If they're five, five minutes, so and so on. You know, till they get older, then you make them contemplate why they did what they did. And you you, you dialogue with them, right? Mm -hmm. So time without meaning kills the child because the reason why you feel that um, – and psychologists explain this a lot, right? The reason why you feel that a month or a week isn't that long anymore is because you've lived now for 32 years, 30, 30, 30 years, right? You've lived for 30 years, so one week – Within 30 years, isn't that long for you? No. But if you've lived for two months or you've lived for one month, that's a quarter of your, quarter life. Of your life. You know? So a child looks over and he says, damn, you know, I'm wasting time here. These three minutes feel like an eternity for me. Three minutes for you feels like nothing. You could sit through three minutes. I mean, you could you could breathe in three minutes. That's how that's what three minutes oh, felt no, like to you. Yeah, as a child, three minutes and thirty. I remember we would take out the drives out to 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 those uh, uh, gene factories or whatever to go get our 
our, our school clothes and I felt like we drove for like three hours yeah and then come to find out then we look like at it and it's minutes. like 20 minutes yeah. yeah I was like damn I was like I swear we to God going? we're going to like New York like I wouldn't even think that I saw those walls that you start seeing when you when you head another cross Bronx yeah. you know and you start seeing all those walls I swear to God I would see them yeah, you know? I, I would I would pass out and I'd be like, damn, I passed out for an hour. Holy moly, that was a long ride, you know. Come yeah. to find out, I passed out for like ten minutes, you know. Yeah, yeah but but the, that time without meaning, and, and it's amazing because that timeout it works with the child, you know. That timeout uh, uh, it makes the child suffer enough, you know, for him to go, wow, you know, that that's a great punishment, you know. Because it, it takes the child and it puts him in a suffering that he's yet to understand. So it's a way that you can uh, punish him without beating the child, you know? Yeah. And you explain to them why, you know, because I do that. You know, what I'll do is I'll do the, I'll explain, I'll put you why. I'll explain to you the why as, as to you're there, you know? Because then you're just putting their punishment and he doesn't understand what he needs to change. So I give him the why. So the reason why he needs to change, then I give him the time, the time out. Then afterwards, I make him explain to me because I want him to see if he's understood why and if he's contemplated, you know, why he's done what he's done. And then what I'll do afterwards is I'll do the, the, the hug and the kiss because I want him to know and, and it's important that he knows that he's loved for making the right decision. For doing the right thing in the end, for for having contemplated and said sorry, so you say sorry after he says sorry, then you give him the love, you know. Yeah. But it's crazy. The punishment it, it works, but the problem is people go, it doesn't work. I put him in timeout. Well, did you tell him why you put him in timeout? Yeah. No, I no, I didn't tell him. Well, what? How did you expect him to change the mistake that he made if he didn't understand why he was punished in the first place, you know? No, it's all like, Johnny, go to timeout. Go to your room. The kid goes to his room. He doesn't know why he went to his room. All he heard was, Johnny, ah, go to your room. That's it. Yeah, and, 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 and you think about it, it doesn't make sense. Like, if I was a child, like, <laughs> I remember when I was a little kid, I'd be like, well, what did I do? What did I do? Little did I know, I did a lot. But in my mind, I'm like, what did I do? Like, I don't get it. And I would go, like, to my room or I, whatever. I'd get punished and I wouldn't understand why. Like, I would be confused. I mean, I only started happening as I got older. Yeah. And, and my mom sometimes would say, think about what you've done. You know? Que lo que hiciste? What did you do? You know, in Spanish, she would say that. You know, which yeah. means, what, 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 think about what you've done. What, do you, what have you done? You know? Mm-hmm. And I would go there and I'd be like, okay, what did I do? You know? And... But anyways, but, you know, it's crazy how, how, how a family, a family, the construct of the family can define who a child is, you know? Yes. Because a father who, who can tend to love a child, right? Uh, because uh, confidence comes from being loved, you know? Because if you're loved... For who you are, true love, you know, loving the person for who they are, exactly for who they are, not by loving them for what you expect them or the ideology in which you want them to be, not loving them for that, but loving them for who they are, being loved for who they are, then in turn, they can grow up to be, you know, uh, uh, 
a person who's confident because they're confident that that they've been loved for who they were. They've had a good experience of of being loved for who they were. So in turn, they think society loves them for who they are. You know, mm-hmm. and it all comes—it's crazy—around a dinner table. Yeah. You know, but anyways, we've gotten down to an hour and twenty minutes of talking. Quite a bit, huh? So time flew by, man, and it felt like just twenty minutes. But I definitely—we're definitely gonna have a lot more uh, dialogue because there's so much more that I really want to talk about as far as the restaurant business. You know, how you know we get treated and how it affects us you know because uh you know there's 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 multiple things you know um like one of them you know one thing that i did want to mention is rest you know fast food you know fast food is one thing that uh it cracks me up because i don't know about you but when i tend to go through fast food you know uh a lot of those people are grumpy you know, they, they like hate life. The employees? Yeah, a lot of the employees. I mean, now I, I can see, well, back in the day, now they, they tend to be a lot more like happy-go-lucky on, on, on those, um, on the headsets now. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't know if you've noticed that. Like Starbucks people, they're like, hello, can I can get you a happy frappuccino, blah, 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 you know? And you're like, whoa, like that's too hyper for the morning, you know? <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts, you know, because the, the Starbucks people are more high-end, you know? The Dunkin' Donuts people, they like, they get the whatever bum off the street and they just put them on there and they hate life, you know, because they pay them less. The Starbucks people, I don't know if you know, but they get like 401ks, they get benefits, they get no, above minimum not. wage, you know, Starbucks, Starbucks people, you can, you can make a decent living in Starbucks. While Dunkin' Donuts people, they get in like minimum wage. So they just hate life in general. They're like, I got to pay for my own insurance, you know? So they're, they're just grumpy in general. But I tend to go through the drive-thru, you know what I mean? And as I pull up through the drive-thru, you know, these people from McDonald's, Taco Bell, you know, they could sit there and be like, all right, you fat bum loser, get up here and pick up your food, you know? And I don't want them to spit in my food, you know? I don't want to, like, get back at them like, why are you talking to me like that? Who the F do you think you are, you know? And so I... I don't say that stuff, so obviously I don't want them to spit in my food. Stay so the, yeah, so the first thing I do is like, all right, man, you know, I'm, I'm curious. Um, whatever you say, sir, I'll be right up there. I'm that fat bum, of course you, are, yes, you know. Sir. Yes, yeah, sir. I'm yes, that sir. loser. I'll get right up there. Aye, aye, you know. Sir. And as soon as they can me the food, I'm like, oh, that loser. Oh my god, you know. <laughs> oh god, you have no idea how much that happens. You have no idea. It's uh, I I. Not in the high-end restaurant. One of the restaurants I worked before that, um, there was a lot of that craziness going on. Um, Anything from, you know, overheating the food. So, for example, we used to have a French onion soup. So, if you know what a French onion soup, uh, you know, it's like like a broth that has onions in it. Very sweet in in some ways. Like a sweet-sour kind of flavor. You got the piece of bread and cheese that just gets melted over it, you know. So what happens is, uh, you know, there was one time a guy who the server um, that was attending to him, uh, the guy kept complaining about how it was not hot enough. So what the server do? Instead of putting it under a broiler, broiler, which is what you should have done, and heat it up, he went to the microwave and blasted it. Blasted it in hopes that the person would burn their tongue. Oh, 
My God. Or even or not. I'm not gonna say even worse, but if you, you might have had this position. I've had it when 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 my fat ass, you know, go, sees a piece of pizza that just came out of the oven, and I'm like, oh, oh that looks so good, and I bite into it, and that piece of cheese just burns up initial layer of skin right in the you know on the, on the, on the top you know wall of your of your mouth, you know, um, or, or another one which is uh, a customer that literally didn't want to. Um, well, just being a pain in the butt for the server, the pain in the butt, you know, uh, fancy, prancy, you know, uh, you know, they thought they were the best thing in the world. Um, so what happens is the customer went in and they ordered a steak and within the steak, they also had like, uh, like a mashed potatoes and whatnot. So he was sick that day. He was sick. So um you know he had like a, he was in the, he was in the stage of mucus that mucus that's coming out so what happens is is uh there was these like onions grilled onions that were put on top so if you ever seen grilled onions when they, or when they get like you know really nice and grilled they soften up they get caramelized and they they, they you know they turn like a brownish color um and then he, they would throw this like green sauce on top of it so what happens is is he got so mad at that customer, he went ahead and and just hawked the biggest loogie full of that nasty mucus that was green, and it blended in. Yo, and, and, and you know, at that time, I was like 16, 17. I'm like, oh, you know, oh, my God, oh, my God. <laughs> and we're all literally just, just standing there, like, like, just looking, just waiting for him to take that one bite. And just when he took that bite, we're like, oh, like, oh, that's what you get for being an ass, you know? And, and you know, it's just things like that, you know? Um, how, it, how, how do you, how will I ever know if somebody's done something to my food? Or is it just like, you'll never know? It's hard because you never know because honestly, you know, you have to have an intense palate. You got to be like my daughter. My daughter can you know I have a, a five-year-old daughter who has an amazing palate an amazing so sensitive so sensitive she can't take any medicine like any any kind of medicine any kind of medicine you know there are some medicines that are doable you know like some Tylenol with that cherry flavor and the kids will take it you know there are some that aren't that good you know but no she can't it has to be like a clear liquid one that like she just can't take anything you have to have an intense palate otherwise you can't tell to be honest with you so what is the best, you know, the best solution is just be nice. The best solution is just to take it. You know what the problem is? We don't like to take it. You know, I, I, I tell you, you're stupid. But I tell you, you're, you're the, the dumbest person I know, you know. And, well, if you're and, my server, I'm like, of course I am. You know, <laughs> you know there's nobody dumber than me, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, in a funny sense. If you're not my server, then I'm like, well, screw you too, you know. Well, exactly, exactly. I mean, and most people don't even think that way. You know, you tell them, you know, something and, and they get offended. They take offense to it. So they defend themselves, you know. So honestly, you know, if you have a server that's being horrible to you, you know, I mean, I think one of the best ways to to probably um, to probably tell um, not tell to avoid the situation is request another server. Request it because if you don't request it, then there's a good chance because when you request another server, then that server it's a clean slate for the most part. So you have an opportunity 
to start fresh. So I'm pretty sure you've had this situation before. You know, you know one person that you both mutually know this other person. But this person has his sense of feeling on that person. But yet I don't see that. I know a different person. Yeah, I'm probably starting to confuse, you, you know, I guess the audience here, but this one person that we both know. We Let's both say have, person A. Yeah, person, you know, person, no, it's not person A. It's just we both know this one person. I don't, I don't like, to, I don't want to use person A. We both know Johnny for the sake of argument. We both know Johnny, but, you know, you think Johnny is a horrible person. He's impatient. He's a, he's an ass. He, he's rude. He's condescending. But I met Johnny, and you know, honestly, Johnny's great. He, he's cool, he's calm, he's collected, he's humble. You know, he's all of these cool things. You know, and but why is it that we have different scenarios? Why is it that you think that, and I think that we both know it's the same guy? You know, it's the same thing. You know, when you have a server and you request that second server because you think ah, this is not gonna go well. You know, and the reality is when you're when you're in a high end setting in a higher end restaurant almost guaranteed it's not going to happen you know but when you're in like the you know those Applebee's and the 99's and you know the Ruby Tuesdays and the Chili's where that's where you know that that kind of stuff generally does happen because the reality is there aren't you know there isn't this quality control that there is in these higher restaurants the higher restaurants is a huge quality control you know, the server, the cook puts up the, the 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 food, and then the expediter, who normally is the chef, the expediter is the person who makes sure the food is exactly the way it's supposed to be. He comes in, he looks, and this is where going to a nice restaurant pays off because even if you have a server, you don't hit it off well. It's kind of hard for him to sneak something in, you know, because the expediter will look at the food, the chef, many times. He'll say, okay, great, the steak is done medium rare, the potatoes are sweet, let me put the little garnish and finish it up, boom, 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 set it up, here's the ticket, server, your table's done, go. And many times, it's not even the server, it's a food runner, because in these hiring restaurants, they have a food runner who has very little interaction with the guests at the table. The server has most of the interaction. When you go to Ruby Tuesdays, it goes from cook to server to table. So there, so you see how many, how many we've eliminated. We went from cook to expediter to food runner to server to table. Now we went from cook to server to table. It's so easy to go in and just do something stupid in the middle of that, and you get it. And that's it. So the best way, request another server, and hopefully you'll hit it off. Or you could pay $200 for two people. And go to a very nice restaurant, you know, like David Burke's Prime Steakhouse in Manhattan, or Foxwoods here, where is it, at the MGM Grand, right? In a very nice steakhouse, and probably won't happen. So you choose. Crazy. Yes, sir. All right. Well, we'll finish up this podcast. You know, hopefully, um, the audience has been able to listen to a little bit. Uh, Joseph, hopefully, will come down around a lot more so we can get more of these podcasts. But hopefully, we've opened up your minds a little bit. Because, you know, that's kind of the reason for these podcasts is my hope is that people can walk around um, inspired to think and to not live like zombies. That's my hope for all this, you know, is that 
people can look around in, in their life and, and begin to, to think, why is it that we do what we do, you know? Nobody likes to think the why in life, you know? Nobody likes to understand uh, why it is that the way that they are, you know? They just like accept it. We, we just accept whatever comes our way and that's kind of become the norms of society. We just accept, 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 you know? And we don't um, expect higher standards of living for ourselves, you know? Oh, same old, same old. Yeah, same old, same old. M mediocrity, you know? Mm -hmm. We're okay with being mediocre. So my hope is that uh, people can listen, hopefully, to this podcast and um, be able to understand their families, how they live, the way that they feed their children, the way that they take care of their children, the way that they... Uh, food has so much to do in our lives and we never, ever notice why... Um, maybe our children are the way that they are because we don't sit around at a table and talk. We don't uh, tend to cook good things, you know. Um, we just tend to do f microwavable food, you know, quick things. And hopefully you've opened your eyes a little bit as to um, how important the family is, how important food is in your life, in your child's life, and how much time you take to do something. So, uh, Joseph, thanks for uh, coming. Thanks for having me. And hopefully uh, we get you in here more often. And uh, I would like to actually, you know, get you and your wife in here to be able to speak about families, you know, because we kind of got into it a little bit within the dinner table. But really families in general, because we're both big families. We come from big families. We're a family of seven. We're so seven brothers and sisters, right? Yep. We're six brothers, one sister. She's the last one. But... Uh, or second to last one, but you know we're 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 open to life, you know. We're both Christians, you know. Yes, uh, sir. But to be able to speak, how is it that we're able to live our daily lives and and we we're we're not dead, we're not drowning in debt, we're not uh, you know suffering and dying as society thinks nowadays. Society thinks that we're. Um, you know, that, that we're living this horrible life, you know, because we have five kids, you know, many people have two kids because they're like, I can't do that. I'm going to live a horrible life. I'm never going to be able to live for myself. And or they think I have the most craziest job that allows me to have the, the most craziest income that allows me to just have the, the best life. Yeah. And, uh, it's not true. we're, we're open to life. To whatever it is that comes our way, you know, if it's five kids, if it's 10 kids, if it's 12 kids, if it's just where we're at right now, me with, you know, four and the fifth one on the way and you with five, uh, many people think to be open to life as a Christian is what to, to, to have a thousand kids, you know, to pop a thousand babies. They think that we're just like, you know. Our wives are just popping out babies, like one baby's coming out, cut the umbilical cord, another baby pops out, hey, cut this one, you know, and it's just, you know. A but factory. It's, yeah, like a factory of children. We're not, you know. If it means to have one or two, that's being open to life. Being open to whatever it is that maybe God wants in our life because who's to say that, you know, you might have the next, you know, uh, person who can inspire the world Nikolai Tesla and you cut him from life you know so uh, hopefully you were able to um, open your eyes a little bit and, and think the whys the whys of life so this is my podcast and uh, 
hopefully we get you on here, like I said, sooner than later. So thanks a lot, Joe. Thank you very much. And uh, this is us signing off. God bless.